0: Looking for secluded beaches and shimmering emerald waters? We know just the place. Florida has 825 miles of pristine white sand beaches, including St. George Island, just voted best beach in America by Dr. Beach. For a different side to the Sunshine State, try backcountry camping at Canaveral's Wildlife Sanctuary or savor the freshest seafood at Old Bay Cafe on Caladesi Island. You could spot the stingrays and dolphins at Navarre Beach. Or for an otherworldly experience, visit Dry Tortugas National Park and gaze upon Fort Jefferson, the largest brick building in the Western Hemisphere, surrounded by turquoise waters. Or you could simply walk the laid back streets and browse the boutique shops and art galleries in Santa Rosa Beach. And there isn't a roller coaster in sight. Get inspired at visitflorida.com.
1: Tony Westland is a federal park ranger who works for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. She has been the supervisory refuge ranger at the J.N. Ding Darling National Wildlife Refuge for over 20 years, overseeing the non-profit arm of the refuge. She manages all the volunteers and facilities, conducting educational programs, overseeing four park rangers, creating publications and publishing social media content. Welcome to The Journey Podcast, where I, Cy Wilmore, talk with pioneers, trailblazers, and thought leaders who are pushing the envelope in their industries. Season 4 is sponsored by Visit Florida.
2: tony and being a park ranger people assume right away i'm a boy Um, (laughs) but i was actually i was actually the boy of my family um my dad had three girls and i was the last one and i was the one that would follow him in the woods and have those great experiences out in nature hunting fishing i grew up in wisconsin and um, yeah so i just took on that role and my love of nature started early Traveling to, you know, northern Wisconsin and to our cabin, but even journeys down to Florida. I spent summers in Florida and it's ironic now I'm down here in the hot climate, but um, so many experiences growing up in nature, positive experiences. And that's what I hope we do here for people at Ding Darling.
1: What kind of do you have any specific examples, maybe the young Tony going out with her dad, maybe interacting with, you know, learning about the trees or seeing the wildlife? Does anything come to mind?
2: Yeah. You know, recently um, my mom showed me a picture of me like they I mean, talk about early, like two years old. They'd stick me wow. in the dirt. And I would just like make mud pies. I mean, those types of things I'm sure are somewhere inside of me. But then, yeah, growing up and just following my dad and he taught me so much about being outdoors and fishing and hunting and all that good stuff that, you know, I love camping and all of that. So those early experiences definitely molded me into my career and then my family um, and beyond. So it's great.
1: Wonderful, wonderful. I mean, I, I guess a lot of the kind of listeners are wondering right now, who or what is a Ding Darling is obviously named after somebody your park is, <laughs> is named after your namesake. But what you know, how did that come to be? From what I understand, the the person's name, the full name was J.N. Ding Darling. Um, but could you share a little bit about the career of, of your namesake and how the refuge came to be named after him?
2: yeah for sure you know what a funny nickname Sure, right? uh, but if you take Darling his last name and pull some of the letters out he was a famous cartoonist his signature was Ding Super. Um, but when you hear the word Ding we're known for our birds over 245 different species of birds wow. birders come from all over the world to go birding at Ding Darling it's not just the beaches right um, and so when you hear Ding they think oh it must be a bird but yeah it's actually a man Jay Norwood ding darling and he grew up in norwood michigan again the same kind of path that i just talked about hunting and spending time in the outdoors with his family um, really started his whole love of conservation but he was an artist and a cartoonist and he drew editorial cartoons on the front of newspapers you know before we had gosh even before the radio but before tv you know when people got their news From newspapers ding's cartoon was on the front he would draw about conservation and politics and what was going on at the time he was quite the rebel he got kicked out of college like his love for nature came through in his art and he taught people about deforestation water quality a lot of these cartoons we could put on the front page of newspapers today where we're still learning about how we're properly or improperly treating our planet um, so he loved Sanibel Island and actually came down here. He has a house up off of Captiva. And so he was a true snowbird. He would leave the north, come down here to you know draw and do his cartooning. Um but he loved Sanibel Island and he didn't like what he was saying and the fact that people were taking birds and doing other things. So he would make his own signs and put them around. But he was the one that actually got this land set aside. It was first you know, state land, but then it became federal land. And Ding Darling was my first boss um, for wow. 18 months. He was a head of the biological survey, which became the US Fish and Wildlife Service. He didn't like his time in Washington, but he got a lot done. <laughs> Um, he drew the Amazing. first duck stamp. Um, duck hunters have to buy a duck stamp, and those go on the back of your license, and that money goes to buying land. He was very much, um, you know, forward, progressive, thinking about helping save the environment. So he is the reason our refuge is here.
1: Fantastic, folks! You know, if you're listening, this is this is really interesting. What Tony just said there, Ding Darling was actually born in like the 1870s. And he's been, he you know, he sadly passed in like 1960 something, 1962, I think it was. So, you know, this is yep. a man who was very, very active at the start of the 1900s, let's say. And as you say, Tony, a lot of the kind of things that he noticed, a lot of the problems with, with human activity and the way we treat our environment, that was all true at the turn of the century. So hopefully we're kind of continuing to learn from him.
2: Yeah, we are trying to keep his legacy going, you know, at the beginning Wonderful. of the, the- early 1900s people were taking birds for ladies hats you know feathers were more than gold those type fashion was was killing you know wildlife and that really changed so luckily we've come out of that and we've got the beautiful birds you can come and see on Sanibel and Captiva Islands because of early conservationists like Ding Darling but then yes you know he was drawing about things that maybe we could be doing better today like water quality and litter and Development, you know, um, and how important conservation land is. So, what an amazing, per, you know, person that started this, and it's our legacy to keep that going to teach the next next generation.
1: Fantastic. Well, let, let's kind of dive into that a little bit more, Tony, because you know, as you say, you're here to continue the the legacy of Ding and the, the wonderful work he's done. What kind of what kind of stuff do you do? What are your day to day tasks within the refuge, and what kind of flora and fauna do you get to to work with, interact with?
2: Yeah, so here um in in a typical year we get over a million visitors wow. at Ding Darling. People are here for the beaches shelling you know they might not know about us but they get sunburned and they need something else to do <laughs> and so they come over to our visitor and education center it's free it's it's we're the best value on Sanibel and Captiva you come here the parking is free the visitor center is free and we will help plan your visits even right now in the summer months and during the winter there's free programming um, I oversee a staff of a few rangers and so we man the front desk a with volunteers and we're here to help people um, figure out what's the best thing do they want to go kayaking canoeing stand up paddleboarding, just drive through go hiking um it's so beautiful because it is conservation land it's left just as it is so you know you could be walking down a trail and there's alligators i just saw a river yeah. otter last friday when i was closing the gates like um but the amount of bird life and yes of course you have to have the great mangrove trees and all of the beautiful vegetation that protects us and so it every day is a new adventure like i kind of coined that but it's true i've been here 20 years <laughs> wow. and not one day is the same day i meet people from all over the world school kids come right now summer camps um so there's always, we had a little gentleman, little boy come through. He earned his junior ranger badge yesterday. I got oh, to swim in as a ranger. You know, those are the fun things um, when you can make connections with people all over the world come um, to visit our islands.
1: Fantastic. Just for the benefit of the people at home, and when I say at home, of course, I mean mainly in the UK, Tony. You mentioned shelling there. What What's shelling in the context of your work?
2: Yeah, so our beaches are some of the best shelling because of the shape, the way that Sanibel Island doesn't just run parallel to the coast. It's got a hook. And so because of that, I mean, pristine beaches um, to collect shells. And obviously, those shells need to be empty. No live shelling. That's actually illegal on our islands. We protect Mm -hmm all wildlife, including the little mollusks that live inside the shells. So you can collect the empty ones and people will make jewelry or put them in jars and collect them. But um, our beaches have so many different species of shells and it's so much fun because, you know, you're just enjoying the beautiful water and relaxing, you know, it's one of those activities, they call it the Sanibel Stoop, where people are always bent over, all you see them is (laughs) bent over picking up shells, but um, what a beautiful experience that um, people enjoy here.
1: Well, I'm not sure my back is up to all that stooping nowadays. I'm getting old, folks. It's a bit tragic. 37 (laughs) years old, and all the lift. I made a planter. I built a planter, Tony, in my garden the other day. Couldn't walk for about three weeks after. It's getting a bit tragic, to be honest. But (laughs) we will, we will move on from that because nobody wants to care. Nobody cares about my my aches and pains. Uh, But the shelling, right? It sounds like an absolutely wonderful experience. And the the way that you're talking about it, it seems very much like the way that your company is approaching it, and the way that you personally approach it is that the wildlife and the humans have to kind of balance and have to interact together and the humans have to have a beneficial time and obviously not take anything away from nature. So I think a lot of what you do and what a lot of the refuge team do is to kind of bring wildlife and humans together to interact mutually beneficially, let's say. And so you work a lot with humans as well, long story short. Could you share some kind of some happy memories, a couple of experiences you've had where you've either worked with wildlife or with humans or both uh, as a mutually beneficial experience?
2: Yeah, for sure. I do want to point out that we do give wildlife a break. Every Friday, Fantastic. the wildlife drive is closed. And that has oh, been wonderful. for over 20 years. That is because we are wildlife first. You have to take care Of the land. We don't feed them or do anything like that. It's wild spaces for the wild animals, and we want people to come enjoy. Friday is just not a good day because um, (laughs) everything is for them that day. So I want to point that out. We've been telling people, but we can't get that message out enough. But as for those experiences, you know, personally, but professionally, we call it a spark bird when you're taking a child or a family out on to look at birds. And they're, you're teaching them how to use binoculars, which isn't always the easiest, or a spotting scope. But it's <laughs> that first bird that a, stu- you know, a student or a child can identify that kind of just is the spark. You know, it's usually a roseate spoonbill, one of those pink birds oh, flying yeah, overhead. Oh, yeah, amazing um in which you know you know you have them like they love that's hopefully the beginning of their love for nature um we just came out of baby bird nesting season so here on sanibel island I mean, it's hot in Florida. Let's just get real. It's hot and it's hotter. You have to be prepared. (laughs) Um, We don't have seasons like people have four seasons. We have seasons of wildlife is what we call it. So depending on the time of year, you're going to see something new. And so if it's the summer right now, we've got manatees and dolphins out in the water. I just went kayaking, took my daughter's stand-up paddle boarding right here in the refuge. There's manatees swimming under you. like. You can't beat that. You haven't lived until you've kayaked at the refuge with Tarpon Bay Explorers, our concessionaire. It's amazing. I do it personally. Um, I've done it twice in the last two weeks. If you can handle the heat, you got to get out on the water. It's cooler. And then come winter, there's... That's our bird time, you know, our snowbirds, our true snowbirds, not the people, (laughs) but the (laughs) birds. And so that's when if you're a birder or the winter months, that's when you're going to enjoy hundreds of birds and feeding frenzies. And you always want to come during low tide because that's the best time to see wildlife. Mm -hmm. And we can help you do that. Going to the spring months, we just got out of baby bird nesting time. I mean, six feet away, you're walking down trails, there's nests of birds, yellow crowned wow. nine herons, egrets, green herons. And we watch this amazing process of the eggs to the hatchlings to they start branching and they're getting stronger and stronger and then they fledge. Like, these are things that you can experience. And there's no impact and, and the wildlife gets, you know, really, they get used to people with a million visitors, but everyone has their space. People stay on the boardwalks and the trails and you're able to witness these amazing things. So it never Wonderful. gets old. I wouldn't be here for over 20 years if it wasn't this magical place. Um, and again, to work, but even to come personally, it's it's amazing.
1: Fantastic. Let's pick up a little bit on the kind of the types of of wildlife you've mentioned there. I think right at the start of this point you mentioned Rosie at Spoonbill. Folks, if you're listening and you've never heard of a Spoonbill, go on Google Images and look. This thing is like I can't remember where I first saw one, but this thing is like how do you, how do you even explain it? Like a like a flamingo on steroids? Is that fair? <laughs> this thing is like A scary, majestic, wonderful flamingo. Does that sound about right, Tony? Perhaps you can do it better than I can.
2: Well, some people call them the Dr. Seuss bird because it's got this (laughs) weird bill. right? And they're here all year round. I was just out yesterday on the Wildlife Drive and there were three of them. And they feed by putting this flat bill in the water, shaking their head back and forth as they walk. It's kind of silly. But yeah, they're bright pink. But when people think of Florida, they think of flamingos. Of course. But actually, our native pink bird here um is the roseate spoonbill, and they you yeah once you see one, you never forget
1: absolutely wonderful, and you mentioned egrets and a couple of different animals as well, a couple of different birds,
2: yeah, egrets, herons, um lots of bald eagles um wow you know, ospreys, there's so many different birds, over 250 different species. And then there's sought after birds, like the mangrove cuckoo. I have a picture in my office here, but the mangrove cuckoo is a bird that's only found in the mangrove trees. And so people come from all over the world to see it. It's very secretive. Um, And so, you know, you've got the ones that people know they wanna find for like their life list. And then there's the big showy ones that we have all the time. So it's kind of fun. One bird, I have to say, I love well, you can tell. I could talk about birds all day and wildlife. These two. There is this bird called the reddish egret. And there's less than 300 breeding pairs left in the wild. So yeah. this bird is actually very much a protected bird. We have them every day at here, here at Ding Darling. And they are an egret. They put their wings out. They do this canopy feeding. So they throw their wings out, which creates shade. The fish come to the bird, and then they spear them. But in the meantime, it kind of falls all over doing this crazy dance. <laughs> and they're just really fun to watch when you Amazing. start studying birds. You know, they're different bill shape, how they act, how they feed. It's just fun. But people just have to take the time um, to enjoy. And, you know, a lot of us have been really reflecting on being more mindful in nature and how nature can help feed our soul. And it just takes a few minutes to be in nature, be still, be observant. And that, too, can really help us um emotionally and health benefits. So it's kind of exciting that people are starting to feel more that nature helps us as much as we can help nature. It's this 100%. symbiotic relationship that we need to all kind of maybe sometimes put our phones down and really be present. And it's so important that these public lands are for all of us to enjoy. But sure. yes, that we're enjoying from a different from a distance and not um, getting too close and stuff. But yeah, it is amazing to watch how they all
0: interact.
1: Absolutely. Okay, folks, we will be back after these messages.
0: Looking for secluded beaches and shimmering emerald waters? We know just the place. Florida has 825 miles of pristine white sand beaches, including St. George Island. Just voted best beach in America by Dr. Beach. For a different side to the Sunshine State, try backcountry camping at Canaveral's Wildlife Sanctuary or savor the freshest seafood at Old Bay Cafe on Caladesi Island. You could spot the stingrays and dolphins at Navarre Beach or for an otherworldly experience, visit Dry Tortugas National Park and gaze upon Fort Jefferson, the largest brick building in the Western Hemisphere, surrounded by turquoise waters. Or you could simply walk the laid back streets and browse the boutique shops and art galleries in Santa Rosa Beach. And there isn't a roller coaster in sight. Get inspired at visitflorida.com.
1: Okay, everybody, welcome back. Uh, Tony, you're obviously talking about your day to day life working within the refuge. But of course, you work at the refuge because of your love of nature in general. So if you weren't working, where would you go just to just to spend some time in nature, spend some time with wildlife? And what would you recommend to visitors to the area?
2: Yeah, I like those off the beaten path. Of course. Um, nice. You know, we've got these beautiful, huge national parks, wildlife refuges like where I work are sure. not as touristy maybe not as well known but i love going to any of the florida springs you know in there's these beautiful places where you think it's like bahama water in the middle of florida they're fresh water that are totally off the beaten path um I really enjoy um, Crystal River. It's another national wildlife refuge where you can swim, you know, alongside manatees where they have their space and you have yours and, you know, um, the manatees come and go and those if you've never been around them they're a- amazing special creatures they're big but they're mammals you know they're very social and so like they're like all i can explain is they're like dogs under the water like, <laughs> That's amazing. you don't even have to go near them because they want to come near you they like to be scratched they'll like roll over so you can scratch their bellies Ooh. and
1: tony you said they're, they're they're a bit like dogs but they're enormous right they're um Is it like a a six foot long dog? Is that right? In the water?
2: So, yeah, manatees on average are 10 feet and a thousand pounds. 10
1: feet. Oh, my Lord. So it's like a 10 foot dog that you're scratching the belly of.
2: (laughs) And they're mammals like we are. Sure. Obviously, we don't condone going and swimming with them, but there's these areas like Crystal River National Wildlife Refuge that are protected for them. And wow. there's springs where they can go in and out, but people can be there um, passively observing. You kind of just float over top of them with your snorkel, and they come underneath you. It's it's an amazing, magical experience. Um, That, you know, if you don't provide these experiences for people out in nature, um, people won't protect it. They won't be stewards of the environment. So it's important. There's this balance of conservation land and public lands and having people experience so that they will protect.
1: Fantastic, fantastic. Um, It feels like we're kind of starting to slowly work towards a a tourism kind of thread of conversation, Tony, as you say, with your kind of favorite places to go. Something that I think is always, you know, essential to ask people on these podcasts is about your favorite places to eat as well. Maybe you could list some favorite places in Florida, you know, your favorite things to do, favorite things to see.
2: Yeah, obviously, I'd love to be a tourist in my own state. Florida is so diverse. you can go up to the panhandle and almost have four seasons it's crazy
1: amazing and
2: then um so any local breweries are always
1: (laughs) sought (laughs) after i'm I'm, I'm all i'm all
2: (laughs) um and then all the way down to the florida keys i was just down there took the key west express never had taken the boat to the keys from fort myers that was super fun experience wow um, just to be on the boat for that amount of time and getting dropped off in Key West. Key West is such a quirky, fun place. I love the Keys. And I, always when I get to a location, I'm trying to find, you know, where the locals go. And so that's really important to kind of, you know, the touristy places are, you know, the well-known places are good. But if you can somehow dive into those finer places, and every town has them. Of course. Um that's i think the important the important part of it doing what the locals do
1: absolutely earlier in the conversation you mentioned tarpon bay perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about that as well
2: yeah tarpon bay and tarpon bay explorers that's part of the refuge that's how you get out on the water and so to have those experiences there's actually a kayak trail that goes through the mangroves it's a called Commodore Creek, and it curves around. You can't get lost, you know, so we're always sending people there because Tarbon Bay is like a giant bowl of water, and that's where you're going to see dolphins and manatees, but there's all these protected mangroves, and that's where it's great fishing if you enjoy fishing, but kayaking in the mangroves, um, there's nothing like it because you've got birds above beautiful clear water where you can see below you. um, That that is a special, that's a special way to, to see the, the refuge.
1: 100%. And and one final question, I, I could talk about this all day, Tony, I could, but I'm afraid we're going to have to, well, you have to go out and get into the world and start, you know, helping the wildlife <laughs> and helping the nature and helping the people visiting. But one final question as a, as somebody based in Florida, favorite food I know we could talk about food until the cows come home until the manatees come home as it were but there must be maybe one or two iconic dishes or your favorite dishes that that you would recommend to the folks listening here in the UK
2: yes so I am a fan for Yucatan shrimp oh wow Um, it's a spicy shrimp and um, they make it here. There's a couple places, but there's a well-known place here on Sanibel Island, um, Dock Fords, that is loves and is is great. It's the best Yucatan shrimp and mojito that you could ever have um, here on Sanibel Island. So you can't beat that. Going down into the Keys, there's always great conch down there. We're about to go into mini lobster season. People actually go out and get permits to go lobstering. Um, um, down in the Keys, that's about to happen, you know, or you could do, you know, there's all, there, just the specialty things to do all over Florida. Um, <laughs> those are my favorite though. Yucatan shrimp. Wonderful. Fresh lobster in Florida. <laughs>
1: Fantastic! That sounds good to me. Oh, it must be. Uh, I guess it's only the middle of the day for you now, Tony, but it must be getting towards my dinner time. Because no, I'm getting I'm, I'm hungry really,
2: thinking about key yeah, lime pie and stuff.
1: Oh, oh, let's not. Oh, we could talk about key lime pie all day long as well. But then, then you'll be thinking about it and you won't be focused on saving the wildlife. So I won't. I won't distract you with it. Thank you so much, Tony. It's been an absolute joy talking to you today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank
2: you.
1: Folks, you've been listening to Tony Westland, who works at Ding Darling National Wildlife Refuge on Sanibel Island, Florida. Thanks again for your time, Tony. You've been listening to The Journey Podcast, where I, Cy Wilmore, talk with pioneers, trailblazers and thought leaders who are pushing the envelope in our industry. Thanks for listening, and I'll speak to you soon.
0: Imagine a destination with 825 miles of idyllic beaches, more than 1,300 walking trails, and over 700 freshwater springs. This is Florida, where you can meet the manatees at Three Sisters Springs, zip line over a canyon in Ocala, and paddleboard through the waterways in the nation's oldest city, St. Augustine. Our extensive accessibility options mean everyone can enjoy our attractions and activities. Florida is truly limitless. Look beyond the theme parks and get out into the Sunshine State's great outdoors. To plan your next adventure, go to visitflorida.com.